Jan and I talked about her life on a sunny, breezy afternoon as we sat opposite each other on the deck attached to her house. In the background, you'll hear the ocean-like sound the wind makes as it passes through aspen leaves. So Jan, one of the first questions I ask everyone is, if you can think back to your earliest memory as a human being, it, it doesn't have to be anything special or fancy. It can be just a very mundane memory, but how far back can you remember and what's your, what's your earliest memory? Um, I would say I was about three and we lived on a potato farm in Idle Falls, Idaho. And the gentleman that owned the farm, the gentleman farmer, had actually taken my dad and his two younger brothers in after their father died and he basically gave them jobs. And my dad started working for me for him when he was about 14. And so off and on, you know, and my dad went into the service and when he came back, he went back to the potato farm. So I always tell people I was born on a potato farm and I can remember them putting me on a horse and I was about three, and we have a picture of that. And um, I can remember the their, his children. The farmer had two daughters, and they were just like a couple years older than I was. I can remember them lining us up and taking our picture in front of the little house that we lived on in the potato at the potato farm. So I always tell people I was born on a potato farm. We always had free potatoes. And um, when I was about five, we moved into town. And that's when I really remember my siblings, my little sisters. And, um, but I think that was probably then in that potato farm. Just a strange question I'm gonna ask. Do you like potatoes? Oh, I love potatoes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up working for him when I was in high school. My dad built potato harvesters for a living. And he would get his harvest crew going, you know, their night shifts at the potato, you know, at the factory. And he'd pull up to the house about seven at night, honk the horn, and we'd all run out, hop in the old, uh, he had an old 1953 Ford car. And we would go out to the potato farm and work for the potato, in the potatoes that night, sorting potatoes, seed potatoes. And we all grumbled about it because, of course, we didn't get paid except for in potatoes. And I, you know, when I was a teenager, I was thinking, okay, I can't believe they were doing this. And yet my dad felt such a um, compassion. He had such great love for this man and his family that it was like, in his whole life, my dad credited that man with, with saving those little boys. How, you said your dad, um, he was he was or basically orphaned. No, he had a, he was uh, um, twelve when his father died, and his mother had six children. And his father died when my grandfather was thirty-two, and he died building the Idle Falls Airport. He fell and got pneumonia, and it left my grandmother with six little kids, and she was thirty in the depression. So she was trying to find another place for them to go. She was just looking. They had to work to help support their family and so they would go out and stay with them and and you know they all the money went to their mother to help her with the other little kids that but this you know, gentleman what was his name just his name was Wiley and Wiley just sort of adopted them as foster sons he just adopted he just gave them jobs he just took them in and loved them and and you know to this day there isn't anybody in my family that doesn't know all my cousins 
aunts, uncles know what that man did for my dad's family and for those three older boys. You know, I think about this when I think about people and families and, and how things happen generationally. Mm-hmm. And that act of kindness, how far it spread forward into other people's lives. Remarkable. It is remarkable. I, I agree. I agree. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to ask, um, and I, I think when we're young women, we always have this idea of what our life is going to be like. Like when we're 13 or 14 or 15 and we think about like, what you dream you're going to be. When you were a, a young woman, what did you think your life was going to be like? I thought that I was just going to get married, have some kids, and just stay home. I did. I never had any aspirations to be anything when I grew up. Um, I want all I wanted to be was a wife and a mother. My mother was a registered nurse, and she had always worked. Cause my dad was my dad died at a young age. He died at 56. My mom always knew that my dad would die young, cause of his heart. And so he had his first open heart surgery when I was six years old. And um, and he he lived and well, I was 29 when he died. But we always knew that Dad would would not live a long life. And he had uh, a congenital heart defect. He had a rheumatic fever when he was a small child, and he he actually lived with his grandparents when he was about 10 for a long time. He took him a long time to recover, and then when he was an adult, he went into the service. He joined the service, and in World War II, he was in Italy and North Africa. He was a frontline medic and they called them a litter bearer and that's what my dad did in some of the, the biggest campaigns in World War II in Italy and um, they said that that really had aggravated his heart. And the physical labor of carrying all the Yeah, and just soldiers. war. Yeah. It's stressful. It is stressful but you know when he, um, my mom always knew that she'd have to be the the breadwinner and she was already a nurse when they got married so it was you know something she'd always wanted to do I had never ever wanted to be a nurse and I think it's because that's one of the most stressful jobs there is and and my mother was a registered nurse for over 35 years and she you know it, it's a hard job but I saw a lot of tears when a patient would die or a baby would die and it was just like mm, I don't think that's what I want to do when I grow up I really I had no career goals. I wanted to be anything. I really didn't. I just was very content being a mother. I was married at 19, and um, you know, and my high school sweetheart. We'd been sweethearts for two years before we got married, and our parents said we had to go to college for at least a year before we got married. And did you? Yes, we both did. We didn't go to the same college, but oh yeah, we did. But I always felt like, you know, I just, I was very content at home. I was, I loved being a mother. I loved being a grandmother. And so having a career, when I started into my career with the Forest Service was, was out of my wheelhouse. And, um, How old were you when you started your career? I, well, we had owned a, a trucking and crane company and that's how we got to where we're at now. And in 1981, and we had four little kids, and um, so I did work for the company. But I was 40 before I started working for the government. And in fact, I was just thinking today, how old was I when I started working?
But my kids were, I had two that were out of school. I had one or two that were junior high, so it wasn't like I had any little babies at home. But um, I'll tell you, it took me into a path that I never, ever dreamed that I would end up doing what I did. And Just, so what, what did you do? I, after about seven years, I became the forest dispatcher for the wildland fire program. So you're dealing with emergencies. Yeah. But you know, I've always done well with emergencies, you know, and, and some people panic and I never have. I've always done, you know, and I've seen a lot of stuff. I've watched my mother, how she acted when, you know, a kid was um, not hit by a car one time and I watched how she tackled him because he went into shock and started just running around the neighborhood, just going nuts. And I watched my mother tackle that kid. And I'm thinking, yeah, I could have done that. I lose it afterwards, you know. I, I don't keep it, I'm not calm like the next day. But So what was that job like for you? I mean, was it, was it exhilarating? You know, what was weird about it was I was working in the district office and I'd been in the district office for about a year and the force dispatcher walked by when I was entering fire time into the computer. And he walked by and he said, hey, do you want to come over and watch us drop a load of smoke jumpers back behind us in the, the mountain behind the dispatch office? And I looked at him and said, what is a, di what is a smoke jumper? <laughs> I had zero um, experience or even knowledge about wildland fire. I, yeah, I was like, that wasn't in my will well either. And I walked over there and he said, do you want to sit down at the radio and talk to this smoke jumper plane coming in? And I go, well, I guess. Can you tell me which button to push and what to say? And that's how it happened. And then he started having every summer me coming in and doing a detail and dispatch. I slept on the floor a lot, did a lot of night shift, a lot of... Um, you know, can you hurry and come in? We had an airplane crash one time and they called me on a Sunday afternoon and the law enforcement, the, the law enforcement officer called and said, hey, we can't find the dispatcher at Sunday afternoon. Can you run in and man the radios while we're out searching for this aircraft? And so I had a lot of, of really uh, unusual experiences versus just a fire. You know, sometimes you think that wildland fire, that's all you, you do. And my career was like search and rescue. It was, it became all risk. And yet our dispatch center isn't an all risk dispatch center. And I, you know, I thought, oh, how did I get here? I truly was just like, okay, he wants me to go to the, I went to the Payette and worked for 90 days one summer and they flew me home in a smoke jumper plane one time for my R&R. &R. And it was like, do you want to ride home? Yeah. And um, so I've been a, an air tanker. And, you know, it was like, wow, I just, I was just like, I don't know how this happened. So this is, this is from a person who, who you just, you stated earlier that you would have been content to just stay home. And mm -hmm. yet at some point you, age 40 and you start to have this incredible life of real adventure I would say. Yeah. You know the funniest thing that happened was my my late husband he um, 
he took me to the airport, our small airport here, and it was his everything that we'd done revolved around him and his career, whatever we were doing with his career, you know, or our business and, and or the kids, what the kids were doing, their sports, you know, all they were all in sports, they were all very busy, you know, four H in um basketball, football, you know, volleyball and and so I'd been one of those soccer moms where I showed up to everything. And um, he took me to the airport and uh, waiting for a plane to come get me and a small plane, a 182. And he looked at me and he said, as the plane landed, he says, I just feel like, I feel like you're just going off and, and leaving us. He said, I, it's kind of strange. And I says, well, what's really strange is it's not about you and the kids. This is really weird. And he says, yeah, it's always, it's always been whatever. When we moved from the big town to the little town, you never squawked. You just says, hey, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And so I got on that plane and it was like I came home and every three weeks they sent me home, but I spent 90 days in McCall, Idaho. And what an awesome experience. They had 13 large fires and just a hectic, hectic time. And it was a good, um, good learning experience for me to really hone in on my craft. So I'm listening to what you're saying and being a mother myself of only one child, I can't imagine four. Um, it, you become the center of the life at the home mm -hmm. and you're taking care of everyone else. And somewhere in that, do you feel like maybe you lost yourself and then it, you sort of came back around? To I, don't, I don't know that I ever felt like I lost myself or wasn't where I should be when I was there. Okay. I always felt content and happy to be where I was. And, you know, and we were always poor, you know, and, and um, it was just like the world revolved around everybody but me. But I didn't feel bad about it. I, you know, it was. But just did like, you feel good about it once it started to be something more about you and your experiences and learning new things and mm -hmm. being a, an incredibly valuable team player? Because the dispatcher is the person that makes sure everybody is where they're supposed to be and gets all the stuff they need. I mean, it's, yeah, it's your your sent. In some ways, your experience as a mother kind of sets you up for it in a weird way. I would think. Yeah, it does. Juggling <laughs> four kids. Yeah. Well, and being organized and being, well, when I ended my career after 27 years, I was called the mother in dispatch. And anytime somebody called and was whining, whining and complaining about the smoke or where that fire is or how come the crew didn't check in like they're supposed to, I would hear them on the phone, the dispatcher say, well, can I put you on hold because we'll have to let, let Jan talk to you. <laughs> and then they'd put it on hold and they say, can you use your mother's voice? And so I started getting all the hate calls. Oh. <laughs> but were like, you good at sort of soothing those people's concerns? I believe I was. That, oh. And I was only called into the center manager's office one time. He says, you need to be a little kinder on the phone. <laughs> I says, well, she pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but when I went to McCall, it was such a great experience because I was so new in fire and you know they were so great to me but my family suffered because 
my daughter was in volleyball and um, her brother was working up at the mine. He was, you know, had just got out of college and was working at the mine and the local mine. And, and I called to wish her good luck on her volleyball game before she got on a bus to go six hours and um, to a game and she had a cold. She missed, she missed her ride to driver's ed that morning. She got on the bus, felt miserable, and then she said the boys were just piled up high with laundry. And she says, I just can't keep up with the laundry. And she says, and Jake, he changes his clothes three times a day. You know, she said, I'm just mom, and then she's crying. <clears throat> and they actually went and got her off the bus so I could talk to her at the school. And I says, so when I hung up, I looked over at the aircraft dispatcher and I says, get me a ride home, because I need to go home. And they said, we only have two more days before you have your paid R&R. &R. And I says, oh no, I'm going home. And um, they got me a smoke jumper plane and brought me over. And then when they went over the house, they said, um, do you want us to just kick you out here or <laughs> well, land at the airport? <clears throat> so they let me talk on the radio to our dispatch that we were landing. And that was kind of cool to sit in the front seat of a smoke jumper plane. And uh, and he just happened to be going through. It wasn't like it was a special trip for me. And so um, when I got home, I said, this is a deal here. This is a deal. Everybody does their own laundry. And everybody does a load of towels. And you're going to start working as a team here because your sister's not your maid. It's not a slave thing. I was wondering where the, <laughs> I was wondering if we were coming to this conclusion. Yeah. And then it was like I looked at my husband and I said, and see that stack of mail and bills? It's up to you, buddy. And he says, well, it's all I can do to keep track of these kids. <laughs> and I go, well, too bad because I'm going back. And they came and got me. They sent me back on an airplane and it was you know two days later and I says every three weeks I will come home or you can come over and visit so once you be this became your career and you, you felt it was like a calling for you mm -hmm. I don't know that if it was like um, it was something that I succeeded at and I felt very confident at and you know when you get get into those situations I think you get better I think you know the better you do with you know I can remember the very first time I really took the reins in on the radio with a smoke jumper plane and a couple air tankers all coming in the same time my my teenage son had just walked in to the dispatch center and well he was in college actually and he walked in the dispatch center and was kind of standing off to the back and I was it was it was starting to get pumpkin time, timed for those planes and to be on the ground. And it was like, so I'm starting to get nervous. Okay, you guys need to hurry this up and start jumping out of that door. And, and I can remember thinking, damn, this was awesome. And what did your son say when he saw you the coordinating all these oh. air tankers and smoke jumpers? I'll tell you what happened with him is his wife about a week ago called me and said, we went to a party and they asked, or we went to, with some friends to a little get together and they asked him what the, the, the most proud he's ever been of anybody in his family. 
and he said it was the time he walked into dispatch and you were just handling everything so well and he says dang that's my mom and I think he saw me in a different light well, like I, I had this conversation with my daughter about three weeks ago and I said I think sometimes you sort of pigeonhole me as your mother and I think children do that like this is the person who feeds me clothes me pays for things and takes mm -hmm. care of my needs and you know they forget that we are our own standalone vibrant human beings yeah and I mm -hmm. but I think that kind of amazement is important because they need mm -hmm. to realize where they come from right because that strength can be given to them you know? I, I agree I totally agree I, I but it's agree. funny that you said that because I I say the same thing with my daughter. They don't always look at you in the whole spectrum yeah. of what you are mm -hmm. until they see it in action. Mm -hmm. Who you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, I was really surprised because his, his wife truly about a week ago called me and says, I wanted to tell you this story about what he said. And then he described what I was doing and she said, I was so touched that that's what was so important to him is what his mother did and how she handled it. And he says he was just like, Wow, I can't, this is my mom. But it left a mark. It did, and that's been a long time ago. Yeah, and so, you know, you think, I've all, I still love being a mother, but when I got home from that 90 days in McCall, and only because it rained. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it was like, flies, okay. Right? Yeah. yeah, in fact, I'd come home from my R&R, &R and they called and says, well, it's raining buckets here, and I said, well, that's okay. I've, I've Camping for dollars has been good this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, when I got home, I told, they were like, oh, we're so excited, you're home, mom. We just, this is so, and I'm going, no, there's nothing changing here. Everybody still does their laundry, a load of towels. I'll do your dad's, because he works 80 hour weeks. And, uh, but I says, none of this. But my husband did say, oh man, I'm sure glad you're back because he said he was supposed to go to Houston on a job and, and he says, I couldn't even go. He says, I had a kid run into 4-H and one decided to go to a 4-H camp and didn't even belong to 4-H. <laughs> he said, and all you do is write out money to him. He says, that's, and I says, hey, welcome to my world. I, I don't, I think being the at-home parent is grossly underestimated all the time. Yeah. But I think, I just, I think it's amazing that the experience you had as a mother prepared you to do this enormously complex task mm -hmm. that saved people's lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, and no one ever thinks, oh, well, being a mother, oh, you were just a mother. Yeah. But look at that. Those skills, you just took them and you, you ran went, with them and ran mm -hmm. wild and fire. Yeah. And you know that I have thought that many times, it's like, I'll just get done with, you know, a load of smoke dumpers coming in, or when we had a um, manhunt for a guy in the wilderness and in California had burned down the house with a bunch of, with a lady and a son in it that died and had kidnapped the daughter. And it was world news. Well, he was in our forest and pretty soon, law enforcement's calling saying, hey, we're coordinating with the FBI and all of these federal marshals and stuff. Could you be on the radio and, and you know, do all of the talking to everybody and keeping everybody in line? And I'm going, whatever happened to just a plain, simple little fire? 
because <laughs> I remember that day after they finally shot him dead and, and they actually found him and he in the wilderness and they landed with the helicopter and he started shooting and they killed him and they rescued her. I remember standing up in dispatch that afternoon and saying, I would give anything for just a fire. Just give me a stinking fire. I'm done with the search and rescue because we're always doing a search and rescue because we have the helicopters. We have the resources to do that or a medical aid and it's like, just give me a fire. But we've become all risk. That's, right. that's what we've become because we have the resources. So that leads me to another question I have, and it may not have anything to do with your job, but I, I'm always curious, is, is something really scary ever happened to you or, or a part of your life where you were genuinely, truly terrified? I always think we forget that other people can be afraid of things. You know, um, it's really weird because, I, I mean, I lived through the Kramer um, incident, you know, where the two firefighters died. I actually was an aircraft dispatcher on that. And um, other deaths on the forest. We had a plane crash, and uh, we've had several plane crashes. And we're the first ones there because we have the helicopter and you can't drive there. Um, but for me, the most frightening time for me is when just a, a trail crew doesn't check in. And then you go like a couple hours and it's like, where the hell are they? And do we send somebody to go look for them? That gives me such a knot in the pit of my stomach. Like, I hope everybody's okay. Or, you know, f it, it's worrying about them coming home. So for trail crew, you don't even mean a fire crew. You just mean somebody that's out in the back country yeah. doing trail work. Just trail work or, or fish crew or a, any kind of crew. The boat crew, they all check in in the dispatch center, so, so we talk to them all day long. Those moments that you have to wait. Yeah, and it's like, oh my, I hope everything's okay because it's getting dark out there, and, you know, and until they check in, it's like, okay. Or, you know, we had, an act, we had a fire that blew up below some firefighters, and we had to send, I've had this happen maybe two or three different times. We've had to send a helicopter to direct them off the, mountain because they were being overrun by the fire and they actually threw all of their gear, their chainsaws and everything and were running for their lives. Those kind of times, it's like, oh my gosh, come on, come on. And then, it, you know, a 10 minute lapse if you haven't talked to anybody is an eternity. Those are the things that really have um, a, a knot it's just like, oh my gosh, please, please be okay. And then the helicopter, of course, you know, can you check with the helicopter? Like the, you know, the floor supervisor, can you check with the helicopter? And I'm thinking, I just did a minute ago, but yeah, I'll check again. Those are the things in my career that have been very, very frightening. Just because somebody's life is, you know, just like the Kramer incident, you know, we didn't even know their names until many hours later. And so those kind of things are just, um, those are life-changing. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know the Kramer incident, or if I do, I just don't remember it. We had two Helitech that were up on top of a mountain on the Kramer fire, and they were um, cutting out a helis, helispot so a helicopter could come in. 
and what they'd done is they had repelled, because our helicopters, we have two helicopters that are repel helicopters, they come out of the, the helicopters on a skinny rope. And um, just like those, you know, they don't parachute out, they shimmy down the rope, and two of them shimmied down the rope to cut out a heli spot so the helicopter could get in there with the crew, and they were overcome with the fire, and the fire they tried to deploy and in their shelter, shelter deployed. and they, yeah, but it, you could be in the shelter and not survive, oh. and both of them didn't survive, and we had to repel two more in there to spend the night with their buddies, because we couldn't get in there that night to get them out, and that was a horrible time in my career, horrible, you know, it's like, um, because those are somebody's children. Those are somebody's children. They're ours. They're our guys, you yeah. know, our friends and young guys. And so there is a monument to them on the forest. But that was a tough one. That was a hard one until, you know, I do really good too. Everybody was, we, they brought in people from Salt Lake, dispatchers to come in and, and um, take over dispatch. We had people from all over our region come in to help so dispatchers could leave and go home. Well, I ended up staying the whole night. So I was the last one to leave the next day. And You stayed uh, the whole night because you just couldn't leave it? I couldn't leave it yeah. because we were waiting for people to get there. And finally I just said, you know, everybody go home. I'll stay the night. So I stayed the night and then we got folks in there the next morning from out of area to cover dispatch and then we had crews that were being flown home, and of course the mother in dispatch had to greet all of the crew. The crew was coming home, and of course they're coming into dispatch and crying, and and you know the crew boss when she come in, you know, she's going like this, and I'm thinking, I don't know how many more of these I can do today, but then you go out so they can cry, and then you know, I had a good friend who just happened to be in the supervisor's office when it happened and she came and found me and gave me a hug and I kept it together till the minute I drove down my driveway home and then it was like that's when it's just you you lose it but I I did pretty good till I got home and a lot of everybody else just said I gotta go and I I says well you know I can do this I can but that's how I've always done it in my life I, I'll do really well until till it's over and then but there's got to be some internal piece that you rely on that keeps you steady do you have a sense of what that is I think a lot is my faith and I have always lived with the knowledge since I was six years old that my dad was gonna die and I think that that's always kept me um, I always knew that that was gonna happen when my dad died, I was the, I didn't even lose it until the next day, because I have always, I've, I've been groomed to know that that's going to happen sometime in your life. That you know he's going to die young, and I think that's always helped me through these kind of things. It's like, oh, you know, you you can do it till you get home, then you're done for. <laughs> and you know, people are calling, and my kids are all calling and trying to come home. All of them were. You know, just like we need to get home to mom, and and I'm good until they all show up. Then I'm not so good. 
and I'm sure that I look like a basket case, but I do pretty good when, in the heat of the moment. <laughs> but as far as being really, really scared, I think that is what that gives me such a knot in my stomach is like, please check in, because if you don't, I'm going to be really worried about you. So, And I think that's the mom in you too. You're a worrier, you know. So when you look back on your life, and I'm not saying that you should look back on it as if it's over, because it's not. You're still a very vibrant woman. But when you look back on your life and you think about it, and I think we've been talking about this, it hasn't exactly turned out the way you planned, has mm -mm. it? No. I didn't know that I was going to be a widow when I was 49. Well, I mean. I'm 49, so... And I was almost a widow earlier this year, so I can imagine. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen in your life or how you're going to handle it. Or I will tell you this, so my job, my career, I've never looked at it as a career. I've looked at it as a job. My career has been my family. Just what it is. I, um, I have never even the thought ever that I wouldn't, I, I always thought that I'd live to be old, you know, and, and um, at least my grandparents lived until they were in their 80s, but um, I have always felt so blessed that I had this job because when I was a widow at 49, I had a good paying job to support myself and a good pension, and I could take care of myself. And you know, um, when my late husband died uh, at the funeral and the viewing. I had so many people, we understand you're going to be moving back home closer to your in-laws. We understand your kids are getting you moved closer to them. And I was like, oh no, yeah, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I have built a life here and I have an awesome career, job, and wonderful friends. And I says, I'm, I've been very blessed with my life and this is just a short time without him and so I was fine I really was there were moments of course you know there was a day that one night that my um, and my my late husband died the end of August and I can remember like in October everybody in the grocery store was giving me condolences and hugs it's like oh my gosh and and it was a windy, rainy, awful night. And I got back in my car, and my son called. And because see, none of my children live close, and they're all like four hours away. And my son called, and I just started sobbing and bawling. And he said, "Well, did you tell him we're good with it? Because we are. We are good with it, Mom." And this I, is, is this the same son that was really proud of you? No, it's my one of my older sons, and he just said, "Mom, we're all good with this." We're all fine, and you're doing awesome. So we all want you to come live closer to us, but you're not going to do that, are you? This is uh, no. So, but your kids have this consensus that you can take care of yourself. That must make you feel good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, sometimes they call like, I'm not so sure, Mom. I, th I think we need to keep a closer eye on Mom because I think they think I go off onto a tangent with my friends or sometimes they'll call and they'll say yeah my friends are coming over we don't want to hear what you're up to because <laughs> yeah, you can't be a whole physical human being you can only be mom right yeah so did you find love again I did I remarried after I'd been a widow for about seven years I'd been a widow seven years 
Yep, I did. He actually worked for a government agency too, and um, I, I didn't even know, I didn't know who he was. And he said, oh, he'd been up to dispatch several times, because you know that's the center of the universe, right, dispatch. And he said, you didn't even give me the time of day, and he says, you were always talking with my best friend. And so one time I tried to run over him in the parking lot. <laughs> By mistake or design. I you know what I said. I thought to myself, who's that crazy hippie with the long braid? That's what I thought. <laughs> and I know my friends are, I'm pretty confident they're surprised, the two of us. We are nothing alike. But we have a great companionship. We, I love his two children. He loves my four children, nine grandkids. And it's been a good thing. It has. He's, he's a good man. And you know, I think sometimes it's got to probably be hard for him to live with the ghost of my late husband, you know, but, and we get along great, absolutely awesome with his former wife, and we actually vacation together, and it's been good, it's been good, and my children are happy that there's somebody in my life to, a, a companion, and so that's been great, that part's been good, yeah. But, you know, there, there are times when I miss my first husband and, and, you know, when I look at my kids sometimes I think, oh my gosh, you're just like your dad. You know, how sweet is that? But, um, and he's very supportive of my, of my work, you know, and what I've done is in my job. And so that part's, you know, that's a, a plus because I'm still going back and helping. So he brought me out of retirement to go back on Monday. Really? Are yeah. you excited about that? I am. Yes, I am. Because when I walk into dispatch, I'm home. <laughs> I, I do. I feel like I'm home because I sit down and I do good on the radio. And are you, know. are you training new people? Is that why they're bringing you back or they just need... Um... They're bringing me back because of COVID and staffing okay. and they wanted somebody that lived here and didn't have to be trained and had done it. You know, I don't... I don't need any training, just sit down. So, and they are bringing people from out of the area to help. Mm. And they'll need help, a lot of help. So, I told them I'd come back, but I need these days off and those days off because I have a life now. So, what else are you doing now? What else brings you passion? You know, I took up um, fly fishing. Ah, yes. My husband bought me a fly rod when I retired. And I've got the waders, and I've been making, I've been tying flies. I made 30 flies this week. I'm going to give them to the boys for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So that part's been really fun, to have a new hobby. You know, I've always done music. I've been really involved with my music and my piano. And, and, um, and I, you know, I feel like I excel in my music, and it's just like, you know, it's time to try something new and just go out of my, you know, my lane and uh, learn it. So, and I I grew up fishing with my dad and, you know, my husband's, but, and my boys, but I've never really been the one to just like, get out of my way. It's my turn to fish. So, yeah, caught my first fish, my first trout the other day with my fly that I made. So, anyway, yeah. So, so taking up fishing. There you go. I have I have another question that I, that kind of throws people sometimes, but take a second to think about it. 
I, I wonder how you see yourself versus how you think other people see you. I think that's something that we all grapple with, like how you see yourself, who you are versus how other people see you. You know, that a frustration I had working would be like, I worked every, in 27 years, I worked every 4th of July but two, and all summer long. And because I got the permanent dispatch job and retired from that after 20 years in the permanent dispatch job. And people don't get what you do. And it's like, well, I don't know why you can't make this, you know, wedding or this 4th of July thing or, and it's just like, well, because forest fires keep happening and there's, that's what I do. And I think my mom kind of tickles me because I don't think she ever got what I did. And that irritated me for some reason. It's like, oh, you know what kind of job I have? You want her to be proud of you. Yeah. 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 And my mom is proud of me, but she has no idea why. <laughs> I don't know. Now, my, my uh, late husband's mother and I are very, very close. I've stayed so close with his family. And she understands it. Because she'll call and she'll say, hey, how did your day go? Tell me about what you're up to. And she got it. But then she has children who are in the medical field and all risk. And I think that that makes a big difference. But my mother was a nurse. And she, I just don't think she ever understood what I did. That was, is frustrating to me when people don't get um, that you don't have a life, I think. They just don't understand you don't have a life in the summer. Or they don't understand that the holidays are, are really peak times for things like search and rescue or accidents and a lot of people are on the forest doing things. Mm -hmm. And you have to be present so people's lives can be saved. Mm -hmm. Insane. You need to be rested. You need to, to, you know, I had really poor eating habits at, one, at some times, you know, because everybody brings in food to dispatch because that's their way to show appreciation. Is like oh my gosh I you know I have another candy bar <laughs> I became the Heath candy bar um, dispatcher and so when a helitech crew wanted to go out on the fire and says please next fire that comes up get it you know let us know they would send down from chalice to salmon they'd send down one time about 30 bags of Heath candy bars and so <laughs> I even had an, an Heath candy bar bouquet made one time from the air base. Yeah, so I became the Heath, that was a way to... So you like toffee is what you're trying oh to yeah. say. Yeah. And that was a way to um, bribe you or <laughs> get on your good side, you know. I don't know how that ever happened except maybe I said, hey, if you want to pay me, just set a Heath candy bar. I don't Little know. did you know. Oh, no. But you know, um, it, that to me was frustrating. People didn't understand what was entailed in doing that you know it's I think that they don't realize that they already see that in a firefighter they don't see the people on the other side of the radio and you really do not have a life no it's like or it's like directing a symphony like you have the orchestra and you're you just oh, yeah. have to get all these moving parts to, to contribute in the right way to make it well you know what they say and I've always loved this statement it's this statement of um, you may know where you are and God may know where you are, but if dispatch doesn't know where you are, then you and God better be close friends. <laughs>
she might be dead. Yes, I know. And that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to tease my my uh, kids. I still tease my husband. I says, well, you know, dispatch is the center of the universe. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I says, hey, if you need something, where do you go first? I mean, if something happens, who's the first person that calls? Dispatch. So I have another question because when I listen to you talk about your job, hey there, buddy. And I, I think about what you've done um, coming from a person who never planned on having, I still think it's a career. You can call it a job, yeah. but it is a career. Um, when I listen to you talk, I think about women who have really forged ahead and m made a, um, I don't want to use the word, the word comes to mind is like a feminist, mm -hmm. like someone who's Mm -hmm. taken back power yeah. for women and forged ahead and shown that you are more than capable, even perhaps than a male counterpart in this position. You were new, you were so uniquely qualified to do this in mm -hmm. such a s specific way. It sort of blows my mind when I hear your story. Do you ever see yourself as sort of like a, a trailblazer? A trailblazer? Yeah. I, I'll tell you what I see myself as. I see myself as someone who succeeded at something I worked really hard to do because it was hard it's not easy to just sit in the chair and talk on the radio there's a whole lot of stuff go on in dispatch that people have no clue we've had firefighters come in and spend like two or three weeks in dispatch to see the other side and we had one firefighter just this burly cute young firefighter and one day he stood up and he says I can't take this anymore I don't know how you people stand this he says, I, I had no idea. He says, I had no idea. Like juggling plates, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And I'm going, you know, um, it's not for everybody either. Because being a mother and a wife, you have to juggle a lot of plates. And that's what happens in dispatch. You have to know everything that's going on in the room besides what you're doing on your radio. And it's called situational awareness. And it isn't something that everybody has because I've seen dispatchers come in and it's like the center managers come to me one day and he says, what do you think? And I says, I think she needs to go home because she had, n she had no idea what was going on in the rest of the room because she was just like staring at the radio waiting for it to talk. And that leads me to another question. Are, are most dispatchers women? Um, or is that something new? Or? I think that it's always been half and half. Oh, okay. I, I don't think that... Um, I think it's a very diverse group of people. I worked with awesome men dispatchers. Our forest, in fact, I think there was more men than women for a long, long time. But you pointed out this really key point, people that have to have good situational awareness. Mm -hmm. And here, it's just like the room can have 10 people talking at the same time because when there's a fire bust, the room, every phone starts ringing. So you can have 10 phones ring at the same time. And our dispatch center didn't have somebody that was the receptionist to answer the phones. And I, everybody's just jabbering away, and I'd finally have to say, hey, does somebody want to get that phone? Because I'm on the radio, and radio comes first. And so there are people that can't even hear a phone ring. I mean, because they're so into what they're talking about or looking at a map. And there's a lot of different skills there that you would think, well, how hard is it to talk on the radio? Well, that's not the only thing you're doing. I wonder about, because I, I, I listen to 
to sound all the time now that I record a podcast. I'm obsessed with sound and tone and voice. That's awesome. And um, I, do you, did you become really aware to people's voices and how they sounded? Did you pick up? Mm-hmm. Did you become more aware? Were you always really intuitive about the sound of a voice? Because when someone tells you something, the way they say it may tell you more about what's happening than what they say. I think, yeah. Yeah, you can tell their attitude or if they've had a hard day or it's like, do you need to take a walk around the building? Yeah, and I myself have seen that too. I'm, I've had a center manager say, hey, do you need a break? <laughs> yeah, as I'm crying under my desk. Yeah, maybe I do. <laughs> I'll tell you what's funny about it is um, my kids would come home when they were teenagers and I'd say, hey, knock it off, Moon and the bus driver at Main Street as I'm passing them in the hall, and they'd go, how does she know these things? I don't know how she finds out, but my mother always finds out. And I said, you cannot run and hide from your mother. And that's how I feel it, always felt in dispatch. It's like, God, you gotta know what's going on with everybody, because it affects you sometimes. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, everybody, stop. What's going on over there? And it has something to do with what you're doing. And, um, I just think that that I've been blessed to be able to do that, to see that. And when I've gone back to dispatch, for the last two summers I've gone back and helped, um, I can see that I need to get back into that tuning in everything. And the problem I've had going back is when you're the queen bee when you leave. (laughs) I wasn't queen bee when it started. When I left, when I go back, I'm not in charge anymore, which is really nice. And, but it's hard to keep my mouth shut because there are some things that are not my lane. And I found that the first year I went back and say, okay, just stay in your lane. You're just doing this radio. You're not in charge of anybody. You're not, it, this, isn't your, this isn't your stuff anymore. That was hard. It was like, okay, keep your mouth shut because you already know the answer, but no, there are other people in charge now. And last year when I went back, it was easier. It was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of a cool little deal here, just sitting in this chair talking on the radio. <laughs> I'm not in charge. I don't have to make any decisions. That part's been nice. But it's, um, it's been great. It's been a blessing. When I was a widow, I didn't ever worry about how I was going to take care of myself or we're going to be okay. And um, I think that I think that it was a blessing that I had the job. I know it was a blessing. I know it was supposed to be. You know, my mom, and this is a strange thing she told me a long time ago. I think I was a really young woman. And it it didn't seem like a pearl of wisdom at the time, but given the circumstances in her life and the way her life turned out, she said, you always need to be able to support yourself and any children you may have because one of two things can happen to you in your life. Your mm-hmm. husband can die or he can leave you and you, you can get divorced mm-hmm. and then you've got to be able to mm-hmm. to provide for your children. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, you know, and I was like 16. And I was like, what a weird thing to say. Wise. Well, yeah. it is. And it, yes. Yeah. And I saw that to fruition myself. My daughter told me uh, not too long ago, because my daughter and my two daughter-in-laws all work. And well, one's a school teacher and the other one, they have their own business and, and she rodeos and all those things. But, and my daughter, she has a, an awesome job. She does, she is married to the boss, but 
she did tell me not too long ago, she said, I keep telling my daughter, don't ever think that you're going to, somebody's going to take care of you because you never know, you might have a divorce or death. And she said, I keep reminding her, you need to get an education, you need to figure out what you want to be in this life. And she says, because I saw your grandma at 49, never, never dreamed that one day I'd get up and the next, that night at five o'clock I'd be a widow. And so she said, this is something that's so important for women. Women need to realize that um, you never know what's going to happen in your life and don't think that you're going to keep the status quo your whole life because you aren't and plenty of things can happen and I thought yes and my two daughters-in-laws have said the same thing yes be able to take care of yourself times are you just times aren't like they used to be where I got married at 19 and thought my world was just going to be you know rosy Twinkies every day and a Pepsi. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did have a Twinkie every day for a long time. but <laughs> Oh, my gosh. But that is true. Yeah. yeah. But what a blessing. And I think, I've, I truly believe because of my faith that I believe that um, when that center manager stopped me when I was putting fire time into the computer and said, you want to see us dump a load of smoke dumpers I do I believed he was prompted to do that serendipity well we could you could you could go any way you want to direct it but you have these moments in your life that are you don't realize at the time that are incredibly pivotal yes and that was you you characterize that as that point yeah you went in that totally different trajectory and the other the other thing that happened was when my husband said to me I feel like we're losing you and you're going off into the world and here we are you're leaving us behind is what he said and when I said mm -mm, just maybe it's my turn I said I'm not leaving you but maybe it's not about you and he was the most unselfish man I ever met in my life and I had followed him across the continent I would followed him around the world if whatever he wanted to do and I just thought no I think that there's a reason for this, and here we are. And when you're sitting in dispatch, at the end of my career especially, I'm thinking, how did this happen? I can't believe this is me. I can't believe that this is me being the mother in dispatch, balling out a couple rangers, because <laughs> their crew did not check in. <laughs> and it'd be like, are we in trouble? Uh, yeah, but I just... I can remember thinking, what, I can't believe this, that this is where I am, what happened, but it, it was meant to be. After Jan finished her story, I thought about how her father's journey shaped her life, how she benefited by the compassion of one person, the man who gave her father and his brothers jobs, showing them kindness and love at a crucial time in their lives reminding me that one act of compassion can affect future generations. The other piece that stuck with me was how seamless the universe can be. Jan's life as a mother of four made her uniquely gifted to become a master of situational awareness, so that later in her life, taking on a challenging job where she was responsible for the lives of others was a perfect fit. 
I smile when I think that Jan never dreamed she'd become the mama bear of dispatch.